Welcome to the Centuries of Sound radio podcast, where I supplement the usual ancient recordings with some extra context. This show is about the music and events of the year 1904. It features guest presenter Liam Higgins, and it was originally broadcast on Cambridge 105 Radio in July 2019. So, I hope this radio podcast is an enjoyable listen. I will keep putting out excerpts of the full mixes every week. If you want to hear the mixes in full, then please come to the main website at centuriesofsound.com. This is not a regular podcast, and you won't find everything on this feed. You do need to come to the website, or if you enjoy my work, you could consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash centuriesofsound. This is a uh, subscription service where you can pay $1 per month for some extra bonus material, like this radio podcast a year earlier, and some bonus mixes, or for $5 per month you can get full downloads of the main mixes straight to your podcast app of choice, or for $20 per month I will actually make a mix for you personally. It's my supporters on Patreon who keep me going, both in terms of encouragement and financial support, so thanks to all of you, and that address again, it's patreon.com slash centuries of sound. My lord and gentlemen, Centuries of Sound. Hello and welcome to Centuries of Sound, the show where we use archive audio to travel back to a year of recorded sound. I'm James, I run centuriesofsound.com, where I make themed mixes along the same lines. And today I have with me... Liam Higgins. So, uh, tell us something about yourself, Liam. Uh, I am a person from Cambridge, from birth, in fact. Wow. Okay, I think I probably did know that somewhere mm-hmm. stored back in the back of my Raising mind. Eternity representing. And uh, what what kind of music do you usually listen to? Um, quite mo- lots of different types. Often, as long as it's sad. Sad music. Yes. I think I might have some quite sad music for you today. Um, in in different senses of the word sad. Um, but yeah. Uh, how about old music? Is there any old music you listen to at all? Um. So I quite like kind of older folk stuff. So, okay. Um, I mean, singing occasionally, but like I enjoy it when it's on more than anything, I guess. I have some folk music from the 1920s. Mm-hmm. However, today we're going back to 1904. Right. Um, so what kind of music do you imagine there might be in 1904? Uh, I want to say kind of music hall stuff, a lot of that kind of thing. Mm. Um, probably fairly jingoistic. Some would be the case. Some would be like that, yes, in England. Right. However, we don't have any English recordings ah, from this okay. year. okay. Um, for whatever reason, the... Well, I can tell you the reasons, basically. Mm. Archiving in the UK is not done as well as it is in America. Um, oh, or it's it's not as accessible. So I can download hundreds of uh, MP3s from America, from Russia, but from the from the UK. They're all kind of paywalled, or I have to go to the, the British Library to access them. Okay. Um, so, I, so I do not have with those. American stuff. Like I'd mm-hmm. have thought, it we're talking like straw hat and cane kind of music mm. uh ragtime in other words i don't or, know uh, ragtime that's the the, the genre yeah uh, just we'll a lot have of some like shifting of hands between kneecaps 
like a barbershop, barbershop yes, quartet. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, we have something along those lines as well. Uh, we don't have jazz, of course. Jazz has, is not going to come along until 1917. Okay, uh, but when you're so. saying that like barbershop is coming on, you're saying we're doing barbershop quartet. We will have something along the lines of barbershop in this show. You I don't want to. I don't want to get. I'll oh, follow well. you. <laughs> no, <laughs> not doing that. Uh, I I can't sing, uh, physically. <laughs> I think. Um, all right, let's uh, let's have a, an example of a song from the year 1904. Then this is a, a Czech American band leader and a cornet player called uh, Bohemir Krill, and uh, he's playing something called Sweet Sixteen Waltz. Okay, so that was Bohemia Krill. Okay. Okay, so, um, what, what did you make of that then? Well, I guess kind of what I would expect. Like, uh, really? a bit, okay. bit of trumpet, right? Like trumpet mm-hmm. on its own. Uh, but we're not kind of getting quite so fast and jazzy. It's still quite controlled. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. Stayed. I think, um, so to give the kind of background on this, um, we're on the kind of beginnings of ragtime here. And mm-hmm. what it's meant is, We've had these marching bands, if you think like uh, Sousa marching band music, um, and getting towards what is the, Sousa? yeah John Philip Sousa getting into the twentieth okay. century. This kind of ragtime influence is coming in, which means that the basic structure is staying the same, basically. Mm-hmm. But you've got the uh, soloists who are kind of like peacocking on top of it, doing these kind of like displays, showing off. At the same time, it's kind of regimented, but it's. It's it's got this kind of like uh, showing off on top of it. That's the kind of element they brought into it. Well, okay. I mean, obviously the trumpet's the top, like the the kind of icing on this cake. But mm-hmm. what are the kind of underlying instruments? I wasn't really able to identify that. It's a, a brass band, really. 
Um, they might have some percussion instruments. There's very little you can get into a little room where they're recording this. So there's going to be like four or so, five people. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's not what they're used to playing. They're used to playing with a full group of people, like 20 or more people. So Yeah, because you don't yeah. have that kind of big feel of like, I don't know, um, when I think of jazz records from the 30s, or mm. which have been recorded maybe off a stage or certainly with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It's a very small room and the recording technology is still very limited. So it's uh, it's something that you can't really, you can't really get that, that studio, that live feeling, not until they get electronic recordings really right okay so um yeah it's a very limited they're recording into a horn that's probably halfway through a curtain with a, a cylinder device on the other side of it a cylinder of what a, a cylinder made out of metallic soap right metallic a, soap metallic soap what in kind this of case. metal are we talking uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly a, a metallic soap of some sort is, is what it's made of um yeah, and it's it's engraving it directly. The sound waves are engraving it directly. There's no electricity involved here. Sure. So it's the sound waves are being transferred directly. And um, yeah, I forget this is a controversial thing, but there are people out there who uh, think that that's better than electronic recordings. Well, I think it's supposed to because with electronic stuff, unless you have like a very low compression rate file, you mm -hmm. will you will not have you will you lose a little bit. You gain a lot in portability. You can have, you know, way, way more songs yeah. on, your, on your iPod or whatever. But um, I mean, what I mean, Edison hated electronic recording and he refused to use it. He he thought it was uh, not real, not real recording. You weren't really getting the sound. You were just getting an electronic copy of the sound. He would. That was know, his point of view. He, I suppose. Yeah, um, but the thing with cylinders, the thing with this acoustic recording, is it had a, a narrow band. Mm -hmm. The high frequencies and low frequencies are lost completely. Well, I think when we're talking particularly about this kind of conversation, we're talking about like later, you know, when we're talking about LPs mm -hmm. from the 60s or something like that, where you're yeah, like I think even from the 20s, even from then, even from the 20s, you can hear such a like a sea change from like 26, 27. Sure. It's amazing when it comes in, but yeah. that's not for another, not for another 18 years, unfortunately. So, 18. 22 years now I think about it yeah that's the right number um okay let's uh listen to another of the big stars of this time mm -hmm. it's a guy called Vess L. Osman I love that name Vess it's Sylvester uh he plays the banjo and uh I think the banjo as it survived as it into the jazz age was kind of a percussion instrument mm. like strumming kind of banjo sound yeah but he plays the banjo as like a solo instrument like a guitar Cool. And uh, he has different tunings and ways of working. This is this is the way the banjo was played at this time, and he's a another soloist basically, but with a kind of showing off on the banjo. I'm willing to have my eyes opened on this one because I admit I am somewhat prejudiced against the banjo. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as it's used these days, I can understand that, I suppose. But um, yeah, as he uses it, it's a different instrument, I'd say. And um, unfortunately, this uh, song has uh, one of the racist song titles, which half the songs at this time have. It's called The Darkies Awakening. Um, wow. Sorry about that. Yes. But well. um, there's no lyrics to worry about, Good. but I should say that there has a racist name at least. So sure. here he is, Vessel Osman. Thank you. 
All right, so that's uh, Vessel Osman. I'm not going to repeat the name of the song again. <laughs> so uh, has your mind been changed on the subject of the banjo then? Slightly? Not greatly. Not greatly. It's not one of his best ones. Mm. Uh, it doesn't really go off on playing weird bits of his banjo there and mm. doing strange things. It's just kind of a standard tune but with an orchestral backing. Mm-hmm. But it is different from the usual kind of thing you hear, yeah? Yeah. I would say so. Um, so earlier you were saying about musical... I mm. think um, I think this is a musical song. Um, it's he's he's got a ridiculous comedy voice he does, which makes me forget whether he's American or British, because it's such a ridiculous comedy voice. Um, and I don't know. You you may find this appalling. I'm I'm willing to bet there's a there is a chance that you might find this appalling. But it's a Mr. W. W. Whitlock. They do like their initials at this time, mm-hmm. W.W. Whitlock, and it's called Come Under My New Gamp. Come what is under. a gamp? I, I really don't know what a gamp is. I, I, we're going to have a listen to this and Come see if we can work out gamp. what a gamp is. I hope it's nothing rude. Um, that's all I can say. I mean, isn't, you know, that's in the nature of pop music, that it's, if, if you can say something without saying it... Well, well, we'll, we'll make up our minds now, uh, I suppose. Under My New Gamp. Well, let's find out. The thing is, I yeah, <laughs> under my new gamp. Like, I think it is a bit crude. I've right. got a feeling it's a bit but crude. Like, I can't really think of what it would be under, like underneath it. <laughs> like, it might be an umbrella. I've got a feeling it's an umbrella from the song. Well, let, let's find out. Let's find out. I was strolling out to the west. I saw a lady in front of me with no umbrella, so I said in glee, Oh, come and have I new game. <laughs> if you don't, you'll soon get damp. <laughs> and she said, Oh, sir, <laughs> you're so kind, I don't mind. <laughs> she was lovely. When we strolled for nearly half a mile, she turned round and said with a smile, Now, kind sir, I think the weather's dry. But I murmured with another sigh, Oh, keep under my new gem. <laughs> if you don't, you'll soon get damp. <laughs> and she said, Oh, sir. <laughs> Well, that's a that's an experience, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> does sound like he has been like overdoing it on the laughing gas. It's, there's something quite wrong there in some way. Yes. I don't know. He, he sounds like a like an ancestor of the Joker. <laughs> 
I, I don't think he's deliberately trying to sound creepy. I mean, then that makes it less of an artistic achievement? Uh, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, anyway, Mr. W.W. Whitlock, whoever he was. What is a gamp? Please explain. What is a gamp? I'm, am... I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I am... Um... What Still none the wiser, gamp? except like it, it just sounds obviously quite dirty. Um, come my, come under my new gem. Good automated manufacturing it process. Not. It is not this. It's not that. This is not. Uh, gamp meaning and definition. Let's have a look. My umbrella. British informal an umbrella. There we go. Right. But after it... Mrs. Sarah Gamp, a nurse in Dickens, Martin Chuzzlewood, who carried a faded cotton umbrella. There we go. Right. But, I mean, basically what he's saying, come into my personal space. Right. Because I want to laugh at you. Um, I don't know what's so funny. What is he laughing about? He's like, I am going to do naughty, naughty things to this woman. This is what I'm getting from that. Musical was quite rude, quite a lot of the time, yeah. as we've, we have found out it's previously. It's important to remember that those, peop- those staid-looking people in the pictures were not actually at all and probably drank quite a lot of gin. Well, we've, we've just finished the naughty 90s. We're in the um, Edwardian summer of uh, further naughtiness. So, yeah, yeah. sounds reasonable. Okay, um, we have a selection of uh, French recordings now. Okay. Um, for some reason, in 1904, there's loads of uh, recordings from France. Um, do you speak any French? Non. Non? Well, you, yeah, apart from non. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, non. And pamplemousse. Pa- pamplemousse, um, chou-fleur. These are the words you need to know when you're in mm. France. Um, this is a selection of different things, so we'll be off the off the microphones for 10 minutes or so um have a listen and uh, any french listeners i'd really like to get some feedback on what this stuff is because it's very um very interesting stuff some of it's very good but i have no idea what they're talking about Il y en a des coucous, on en trouve partout. La tourterelle. 
un ancien ministre qui pleure son portefeuille. Oh, 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 oh. Voyons, si je fais des aides, c'est pas pour les payer ou alors c'est pas la peine d'en faire. Votre serviteur. Bonsoir, mademoiselle, disait le garçon. À la demoiselle, sans plus de façon. Puis devant chez elle, un serment de main. Bonsoir, mademoiselle, jusqu'à demain.
That's a selection of uh, French recordings and some of the some of the different things you would have heard there. We had a, this is uh, a French man showing his love for a duck. Well, that was uh, Grizard. First, we had a uh, Charles. That was Grizard. Then we had Paul Fayol, Harry Fragson, and uh, Jean Pelleux, and uh, Leone A. Willikins. That's the different A. Willikins. Two different people. Leone. A Willikens. A Willikens. Yeah, and so that it was... does sound like Willikens from England has gone over and got got a little bit above his station. Could be. There's this um, uh, Harry Fragson. He does some songs in English with mm. kind of making jokes in English and skipping back into French, franglais sort of thing. So um, that that could be a so connection. So right there. up the kind of sort of middle class, um, self important alley. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's one of those alleys. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, that's that's France. It's uh, yeah. 1904 France. What, well, what kind of I, things are going on there? Like, well, uh, what I wanted to talk about on that one was very, very significant. We have just started on, well, it's a step along the road towards the Great War. Yeah. The greatest of all wars. That's what they thought. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, never anything, name anything quite like that. Because you're always just asking for someone to prove you a bit mm. premature. Great um, Britain. So, yes, um, yeah. apparently France and Great Britain signed the Entente Cordiale in, on the 8th of April, mm. uh, which is the agreement between France and Britain as allies um, against the Germans, effectively. Mm. This is the beginning of this very long slide towards probably an avoidable war. Um, which killed a generation of British people and French people and German people. Russians. Russians Can't as well. Um, yeah. So it's a grim thing on the horizon. As far as they're concerned, it's the Edwardian summer, though. Right. I mean, yeah. if you and if you think about that in terms of like, right, that's ten years, ten years before. Uh, what what year are we talking? Year nineteen fourteen. Yeah, it's ten years so away. So ten years before. <laughs> hmm. Not I long mean, away. Me and my pessimistic side, I start thinking about what things that are happening right now that in 10 years' time I will uh, be going, uh, how did yeah. I not realise? Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of it around to, to see already. Yeah. So, yeah, quite. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, what, what kind of a year was 1904? Let's, let's talk about it in general. What, what kind of things happened? We've got uh, fires. We've got a couple of cities burnt down, I believe. Right. I mean, and we're still really talking about kind of like late British Empire as well. You know, mm-hmm. well uh, middling to late because it's still pre-First World War. Yeah, um, me too. And actually, when exactly was H.G. Wells writing? Uh, a little H.G. Wells before is before this, really. Um, well, his his three classics are from the 1890s, I'd right. say. Okay, so four classics. Already, you've over those ones? Yeah, that, that's, that's a little bit in the past. By the, he, he was still writing. I think he wrote, uh, was it called Kip around this time? That's a, a bit of a later one. We're looking at a picture right now of the Great Fire of Baltimore. Baltimore Fire in Baltimore, Maryland, on the 7th of February. 
Yeah. Uh, and it, to be honest, it all it makes me think of is just like in ten years' time, <laughs> Europe's going to look like that. Um, there was the Olympics. Let's talk about the Olympics Let's a little bit. Let's talk about these. So, and is this this is not the first Olympics, is it? But it's one of the very early ones. I think it's the third modern Olympiad. The third one. Third modern Olympiad. So let me tell you a bit about the third modern Including Olympiad. Including kite flying, pigeon racing, cannon shooting, and firefighting. Yeah. They were obviously away when they should have been in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were supposed to be in Chicago, but they had the World's Fair in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And they thought, yeah, let's move the Olympics to St. Louis, Missouri. Which is probably the only time it's going to be in St. Louis, Missouri. Well, yeah. Sorry, Missourians, but that's... Well, you know... Well, to be honest, you can have the boondoggle. It's rather expensive. It is, it is. I think it seems nobody wants it anymore. Hmm. Um, so it was it was a bad Olympics for many reasons. Uh, moving it to St. Louis was... A, St. Louis. St. Louis, isn't it? Moving it to St. Louis meant that lots of countries didn't turn up. They thought it wasn't worth bothering with anymore. Um, so they, they added some other things to make it more interesting. Um, they had a at the at the World's Fair nearby. They had a human zoo, and at their human zoo, some uh, African exchange students dressed up in tribal costumes and acted out in imagining of tribal life of paying visitors. So I want to imagine this as just a nice way of supporting African people in their quest for knowledge and uh, just getting through the summer, so they've got a bit of spending money. Yeah, I do have a bad feeling about this. Well, I mean. That that's that's probably not acceptable these days already. But the the organisers of the games decided that they would, uh, in their own words, demonstrate that the savage has been a very much overrated man from an athletic point of view, and uh, had the the these poor exchange students students there um, competing in athletic sporting events against the best athletes in the world, and quite often losing because they weren't the best athletes in the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a it's a really racist time, um, and uh, yeah, they they weren't really clear about when the events should start or finish. So quite a lot of them continue for the next six months, um, and uh, some of the some of the competitors there were six it turned out to be yeah yeah six to months finish the Olympics. Uh, indeed, I mean that is an awfully good way to put off going back to work. Uh, <laughs> Just for some of them. Just right. for some of them, exactly. that's all. Most of them have gone back. It's like that song. What, what about still our, driving. our poor African friends? Did they have to put off for a semester? I think it was just a job for them, probably. Right. For that for that time, anyway. Well, I mean, if it went on for six months, that would still be, you know, mm-hmm. better money. Um, we had quite a few competitors turned out to be imposters, including the boxing champion, Carol Burton. Wasn't really him. Right. Somebody else. But, I mean, why... Why wouldn't the boxing? It was. Is it just because he? It was so not valued that he was like, "I'm not going. Go yeah. in my stead." Yeah, I, I guess so. And um, the standard of the standard of the athletes can be judged. That's maybe a from hard this. sell as well. Trying to get yeah. someone to stand in for you. By the way, uh, <laughs> you're going to get hit. Can you? Yeah. Could do you mind going to the Olympics and getting beaten up instead of me? I know you don't have any skills. Well, yeah. It's like probably didn't didn't go well. I, I imagine it might have been another boxer. It could be. That, mm. that is logical. And there's a guy called George Azer, and he got three gold medals in gymnastics, even though he had a wooden leg. I'm surprised he wasn't called Smith. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Indeed. But um, um, the best thing, let's have the best thing in the Olympics, yes. was the marathon, which is a legendary marathon in Olympic history. And I have to quote from uh, a, 
a different from a website I found here called uh, well, it's the Smithsonian Magazine, so right. not not obscure website. Credible, yeah. So here we go. William Garcia of California nearly became the first fatality of an Olympic marathon when he collapsed on the side of the road and was hospitalised uh, with hemorrhaging. The dust had coated his esophagus and ripped his stomach lining. Oof. Had he gone unaided an hour longer, he might have bled to death. John London suffered a bout of vomiting and gave up. Uh, Len Tao, one of the South African participants, was chased a mile off course by wild dogs. At the nine-mile mark, cramps plagued Laws, who decided to hitch a ride in one of the accompanying cars. Oh, I think I have heard of that one. <laughs> Waving at yeah. spectators and fellow runners as he passed. Um, Hicks came under the care of a two-man support crew with a 10-mile mark, and he begged them for a drink, but they refused. Instead, they had another idea. They sponged out his mouth with warm distilled water. Then seven miles from the finish, his handlers decided to start feeding him a concoction of strychnine and egg whites. What? Yep. Meanwhile, Laws recovered from his cramps, emerged from his 11-mile ride in the automobile, and one of Hicks's handlers saw him and ordered them off the course. But Laws kept running and had finished with a time in just under three hours, and the crowd roared and began chanting, An American won! And Alice Roosevelt, the daughter of the president, placed a wreath on his head and was just about to put the gold medal on there when uh, somebody called an indignant halt to the proceedings with a charge that Laws was an imposter. And then they stopped cheering and started booing him. Mm. And Laws smiled and claimed that he'd never intended to accept the honour. He finished just for the sake of a joke. <laughs> um, Hicks's trainers gave him another dose of strychnine and egg whites, this time with some brandy to wash it down. And he began hallucinating, <laughs> believing that the finish line was still 20 miles away. In the last mile, he <laughs> begged for something to eat. <laughs> then he begged to lie down. He was given more brandy but refused tea. His trainers carried him over the line. That's, that is a responsible <laughs> training crew. You're not allowed any tea, but you can have some brandy. And strychnine. And strychnine. <laughs> what are the effects of strychnine? I've only really known know. it as like a poison. It's a poison, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, they held him aloft while his feet moved back and forth on the ground. And they declared him the winner. Right. He was the winner. <laughs> I think he deserved the if medal. If that's winning, <laughs> I don't want to. He got most of the way there. At least mm. got into yes. the arena. At least, yeah, the poor man. Um, so yeah, that was a bad Olympics. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, other ones are better. Sure, but but that story of the guy in the car—that's very famous. Oh, okay, um, the cheating, I, the cheating one. That's 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 one that's brought up. I feel like it's like a QI fodder kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, should um, be, should be. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, another thing of this era, when you when you kind of see recreations of this time, is airships because we're just into the beginnings of planes, but they've had right. airships floating around, and that was the hot new technology at this time. It was going briefly. to be the future. So here, obviously, I need to have something linking in with that, and it's a, a xylophone solo caught on the on the subject, <laughs> a xylophone solo of a popular song called "Come Take a Trip in My Airship." Which is definitely sexual. No, no, the song isn't. It's just no? a romantic song about taking oh, somebody oh, up oh, on a oh, romantic oh. trip in an airship. Anyway, here we go. Thank you. 
Xylophone King Albert Benzler there with the Come Take a Trip in My Airship medley. Not going to spoonerise that one. Uh, what did you make of his uh, xylophone stylings there? You know, I actually quite liked it. It was quite calming, interesting. And um, I guess I probably would say this is the first xylophone track I have really listened to. So it was <laughs> okay. actually quite a change. The xylophone solo market in the modern day has been severely diminished so i can understand that people today they just don't know what's important yeah they do not appreciate xylophones the way they used to yeah. that's true um we're gonna listen let's just have a listen now to uh, a guy called alessandro moreshi have you heard of alessandro moreshi before i have not i'm gonna chance my arm and say that he is italian he is italian, American, yeah. italian? no 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 italian proper italian italian, italian. italian. and uh Mm. Yeah, I, I want to tell you about him first, perhaps. He was a, a kind of singer that we don't have anymore. In fact, he is the only recorded example of this kind of opera singer. Castrati. Exactly, yeah. Right. This is a Castrati. This is the last Castrati, he was Thank called. Goodness. There was a film about his life called The Last Castrati. Although I, I do like the conspiracy theory that that's what happened to Michael Jackson. Yeah, the... Documentary Chemical. I've seen yeah, recently exactly. doesn't agree with that though. Um, yeah, the he he was the last Castrati. Well, there probably was one or two others. He was the last working one, and he recorded this in the Vatican. Um, this is his version of Ave Maria, and uh, people who listen to opera, which doesn't include me, um, when they listen to his voice, they don't like it. It's uh, they they say, they say it's disappointing to hear it. Um, but I think the problem is they're not listening to a lot of opera from this time. And believe you me, I I've mean, listened to a lot of opera from this time. Of what an art form is change. I think the the way the style of singing has changed, um, basically because of Caruso, people started Im- imitating Caruso's style, and he's he's coming along at this same time. And then, you know, people forgot Excuse that the style was different before. Who is Caruso? Enrico Caruso is the first megastar of recording, and he was an opera singer. Um, we could listen to some Caruso now, but I don't have anything really good from this year. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, people's expectations change quite a lot. There's a kind of, uh, I've heard it's called head singing. If you have, resonate the sound in your head rather than in your diaphragm, it sounds kind of strange and nasal and weird. But that was the expectation of the sound. That was the kind of sound they were supposed to produce in in this time. 
doesn't sound nice when described. But no. I'll take your word for it if you think it was. Well, you hear, he sounds kind of slightly funny, I would say. It's a kind of slightly uh, weirdly nasal way he sings. Would and you at the same time, he's a or... he's a castrato as well. So right. it's a artificially... La- but, he artificially not, uh, but he was not recorded. Or it's just this is the first guy to be recorded. This is the only castrato that was ever recorded. So, right, okay. So um, we don't have an example. Some people say it's because he was too old. Um, might be the case as well. This is the last last ten years of his performing career, so could be the case as well. Um, okay, sure. let's have, let's yeah, listen to. If we only had like the recent Bob Dylan. Yeah. To God. judge on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, it's not quite. It's not as bad as that. I think it's okay, but it is weird. Let's have a listen to Alessandro Moreschi with Ave Maria. So that's Alessandro Moreschi, the last castrato, with recording right, at Ave like, Maria. Okay, so how old are we talking about now? Like, how old is he? Uh, 50 or so. 
Right, because it, that is, for me, the strangest thing, is listening to what does definitely sound like a young boy or maybe even like a woman, possibly. Mm. But yeah. knowing that this is a, like a fully grown man yeah. who has been mutilated. Well, yeah, it, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I I think... It was one of those things. It was been it had been illegal for a long time, and the parents would make up stories about accidents happening and things right. like that. But it it was done, and sure. it was it was bad, um, of course. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the history of of um, doing that to men is actually very long. Mm. It goes all the way back to I think Babylonian times, because right. it was something that you could do to bulls quite easily. Okay. Um, as a way of making them more, I think, more docile. There's and a lot in uh, ancient China as well. As well, mm. it was for things like singing, but also eunuch soldiers, because that meant they could not. There was no possibility that they could father children upon mm. upon your queen. Um, you could be certain that they were your kids. Yeah. yeah. Um. So well, what yeah, I like to indeed. think about in that situation is ancient Babylonian soldiers who. Also had great choral abilities. Well, maybe they did. <laughs> maybe they did. Yeah, maybe they did. Yeah, that's something. Maybe an aspect that hasn't been considered that much. Right. We don't have any ancient Babylonian music to play. There were you. a couple of moments in that where I felt mm, that is quite piercing. <laughs> yeah. Other times where it was like, it, okay, that's it's that's also more um, enjoyable. there's kind of a stage melodrama that was put into opera at this time yes. as well, which is they they kind of was stripped out by recordings being circulated um so there's that kind of element as well perhaps um okay so let's have a listen to some more opera are you a fan of opera be honest here uh <laughs> i to be frank i can't say i am i would say i'm not basing that on a great deal of experience yeah but from what i have seen it does not really attract me i've got nothing in theory against opera but i've listened to a lot of not very good opera as part of this project mm. this uh, russian records website has so many landfill opera cylinders mm. that are difficult to get through and uh, i don't want to judge it on that they're very poor recordings as well okay um but i'm still not really an opera fan even after hearing lots of quite good opera um afraid not <laughs> all right let's let's have a listen to a, another bit of opera anyway this is a isabel j and it's a operetta technically um, oh it's not okay it's j J-A-Y J-A-Y I was thinking like That's a very modern name Not, not Jessie J it's No, no I mean as in, It could be her
So there's Isabel J with Poor Wandering One. I, um, I, you know, I quite like that. Yeah. That was, that was, had a bit more kind of energy, a little bit more of what I, I, I don't know, can get into. It's nice. It's the, the usual kind of vocal acrobatics thing that, I don't know, the opera I, cylinders I pick out have, I'd say. Right. I, I guess to me, it just sounds pleasant in a way that I don't feel the kind of castrati guy did quite the same way. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say the castrati sounds uh, pleasant exactly. But yeah, I think he's, it, it's a different kind of thing going for there. I don't know. There's enough pleasant music out there. Um, so she isabel j sounds quite a lot like uh another singer that we had previously called michaela a nikolova mm-hmm. uh, who does these high-pitched vocal acrobatic stuff um and that's a, a way of talking about russian records there's this website called russian records which you should really check out they have um so many thousands of like pre-war pre-revolution uh, recordings mm-hmm. from russia very hard to search it's a, Kafkaesque website, I'd say, but if you can if you can get your if you can get to grips on it, um, you can get some amazing stuff out of there. So these mm-hmm. are cylinders that I believe one person in Russia has found and uploaded. And again, fi- we're talking metallic soap cylinders. Yeah, or or discs. There are plenty of discs around now. But actually, I thought the earliest ones were done on things like wax, right? Uh, we call them wax cylinders, but was, but they are not was, wax. There, there I that much just wax imagined used, a piece actually. of beeswax. Yeah, they they were no. they weren't really wax at any point. Really, there were, there were a few made of wax originally, but not many. Um, so yeah, here, here's another recording I found on this Russian Records website, and this is uh, the Gypsy Choir of VV Panina. Okay, with Sasha oh. Grisha. So it does sound quite interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good and interesting. Um, it's one of the things I found there that I most appreciated from this year, anyway. So here we go.
that was called Sasha Grisha, one of the Russian records I've dug out for this uh, radio show from the year 1904. What did you make of that? I, I quite liked when it got faster, and then when it towards the end when it started to feel like they were, they just looped it. I mean, I know they didn't have the recording technology, but... Uh, <laughs> certainly not. It certainly sounded a little bit like that. I got a little bit less interested. Okay. But, um, no, that, I mean, Fair that enough. was quite... quite quite cool sounded um, like there were many many people there which is unusual for this kind of era right it did didn't it it did sound like a properly a group a big group of people uh-huh. um cool yeah all right i mean russia like brings me on to kind of historical really significant event i would say one of the most significant events of this year which is uh-huh. the fact that you have the russo japanese war hmm. uh, you do and really kind of this is the the first beginnings of um, the idea that maybe Europeans are not some kind of dominant people. Hmm. Um, you know, first started when the Japanese were forced by the Americans to open up to the world. And hmm. um, they reformed so much, they started being able to beat people and they beat the Russians. Hmm, they did, indeed. And uh, yeah, many different things came out of this, I suppose. It's uh, the Far East element of the Second World War. I think maybe people right, don't think about so much. we're talking about Manchuria and places like this as mm. well, right? Yeah, um, indeed. Um, the end of the First World War, which is quite a way away. Yeah. Um, we have uh, the concessions to the Japanese in China, mm. which, yeah, that, that really kicks off the Second World War as far as China's concerned. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, many things leading through that. And, of course, there's uh, the war between China and Japan just before that, in which... China lost and had to concede quite a lot of things as well. Um, and as far as Russia goes, of course, yeah, um, it's one one of the defeats. Well, it's that... just one of the the many things that should have, well, you know, that demonstrated that the Russian state was not capable of dealing with the modern world mm. at this time. You know? And uh, the peace treaty between Russia and uh, Japan was uh, brokered by Theodore Roosevelt, for which he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. It's the other part of it, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So this is one of this long list of people mm. with the Nobel Peace Prize. That, yeah. Yeah. Completely. Uh, probably shouldn't have it. No. For all uh, his for all his qualities. It's nice to know we are many. maintaining traditions in yeah. the modern world as well. Mm. Um, yeah. He yeah. wasn't really a man of peace, was he? Particularly. But, I mean, yes. Although in our times, he is a very interesting man when it comes to dealing with corporations. Yeah. He had um, he had lots of interesting things to say, but yeah. he he was a warmonger. We yeah. can't really deny that part of his character. No. Um, all right, so let's uh, move to the more uh, Spanish parts of the world. I'm okay. not sure all which right. exactly of the Spanish parts of the world this is. Okay. But um, as you're a person who has experience of the Spanish world, maybe you can tell me a bit more about it after we listen. All right. Um, it's a Mr. I, I, I wish I had more exp- more information about mm. these cylinders right. <laughs> and records. Um, but this one, all I know is the title. It's R.H. Robinson. And how would you say the name of this? Jarabe Tapio, Tapatio, Tapatio. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, I want to say Jarabe is something that you chew. Right. Or like, Jarabe, <laughs> I think I think I may have seen this on the backs of sweet packets and they use it to like seal Skittles or something like that or things like that. Right. That's an interesting thing to have a, a song I'm going to Google that. Right. We can find out. So here we go. Uh, how do you play it? Jarabe. Jarabe Tapio. Tapatio? I really don't know this okay. one. Main thing is. Jarabe Tapatio, or Rafael Herrera Robinson, or Nograma Edison. You 
él me quiere de formalidad, él me quiere de formalidad, primero me ha de enseñar el modo de enamorar, que cuando tenga dinero no queremos a pasear, adelante son a la final, como dice los malditos, arrimate vida mía, pásate tus cariñitos, invita no me decías, en el alma me adorabas, y a todas horas del día cuando no me veías llorabas, indita, 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 indita del otro día, donde dormiste esta noche y que traes la barriga fría. Y ahí va la bola y rueda la bola, me dijo una de Tepi. Ahí va la bola y rueda la bola, señores, no soy de aquí. Ahí va la bola y rueda la bola, me dijo una queretana. Ahí va la bola y rueda la bola, señores, hasta mañana, el pobre del zapatero. Porque no tiene dinero para sacarla a pasear. Mi busca vida está presto, el Señor me lo quiere echar. Y libre no me da nada, pues presto que me ha de dar. Es busca vida de mi corazón, hasta me puede verse en la prisión. Ojalá y en diez años, que se te quite los sinvergüenzos. Y te preguntan, dile la verdad, ¿dónde está tu amor? Aquí está, aquí está. Que tu la bola va para San Pedro, rodeada de carmesí. Carretas y coches mujeres en burro y no me llevan a mí a que soy tan mala tengo yo. Herida de un rebocero que no me saca pasear porque no tiene dinero. Y cárgale al cariño, cárgale al cariño, le dije a mi valedor. Yo el tiempo vale, yo el tiempo vale, que la trate con rigor. Uy, 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 qué miedo les tengo. No me vayan a matar. Cuchillo de palo, a velar y sin cortar. Ya tengo los ojos verdes, me comienza a dar el mal. Soy del barrio del santuario y pendo del pilancón. Me dijo una del guayabo de que se arruga el frijol. Todavía no lo echan a la olla ni a la torre. So there we go. Um, so we, we found out what that is while we've been listening to it. And what is it? It is a herb mixture. <laughs> uh, like and so I think it's something that you can, for example, wash your mouth out with and stuff. Yeah, um, it's, it's not. No, no, it's not that. What? Yeah, it's it's, it's the Mexican hat dance. No, but the harabe. Oh, the, the thing okay. Itself, <laughs> okay. Like. Okay, well, we can um, we can have a look for that as well. Yeah, the word harabe from Arabic charab, originally meaning herb mixture, denotes a combination of various Mexican musics. Um, all right. Well, it literally means syrup, which right. refers to the mixture of okay. meters within one harabe. Okay. Right, okay. All right. Well, the the phrases I picked up, I did not find it very easy to understand the Spanish in that. But mm-hmm. there were a couple of like good phrases I got from that. There was something about the poor shoemaker. Okay. Uh, there was lots of singing about um, weddings, I think. Um, of course, shoemakers are being uh, priced out at this point by uh, industrialization of the shoe manufacturing right. process. I mean, wouldn't so. that have happened mm. considerably before? I yeah. Mean, maybe I'm not in Mexico, so. but... Well, I don't know. Yeah. No. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because the word harabe originally meaning herb mixture. Yeah. There we go. Um, like, And there was other ones which is like, they're not going to kill me. With, he's not going to kill me with his knife. Wow. That was one of the last lines. Oh, that's good to know. Um, I think it was the the, la- the knife was in somehow funny. Right. I have no idea why. It's Mexican humour. Um, all right. At the beginning of this show, we were talking about men in straw boaters singing in close harmony. This is an example of that. Um, 
and we would call that a uh, barbershop at this point. Mm-hmm. However, barbershop is an invention of the 50s. Right. Um, where they take old songs, old vocal harmony songs, um, and we perform them in a kind of sanitized way. Right. So that's, that is properly like white men. Music. Yeah. What they're sanitizing, interestingly enough, is two different things. They're sanitizing the, the black performers right. on one, on one yeah. hand, and on the other hand, they're sanitizing the racist white performers. They're taking all well, the that songs. That is somewhat better. I well, mean, I'll take the second part. Well, it's, it's a bit of one, a bit of the other. Right. What, what they're doing with the racist white songs is they're taking out the racist bits mm. or the racist names and uh, continuing to perform them. So uh, it's kind of a censoring of history in that sense. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, you could you would call this barbershop now, mm-hmm. um, but at the time they're just calling it a vocal group. Um, yeah, and this it's the Edison Male Quartet. Anything with Edison in the title, it's the the guys they had hanging around their recording studio in New York, and it's called Breeze of the Night. the Edison Male Quartet with Breeze of the Night. Um, just from listening to so many of these things, I recognise one of those voices as Arthur Collins, I think. Okay. Arthur Collins, I've played quite a lot on this show before. He was the uh, the Elvis of the Edwardian era uh, well, no, in many different ways. He? He, he was he was a, a white man taking uh, appropriating kind of black culture to become the biggest singing star of the age. Right. So in, in the same way. Okay. as Elvis. Um, so yeah, I could hear his voice in there somewhere. Mm. So, uh, I, mean, I guess that to me was kind of exactly what I was thinking was, was going to come up. Like, yeah. There's, um, there's not that I, much of that actually, stuff. I enjoyed it much more than I expected to. <laughs> okay. It was, Good. it was like, actually, yes, I could quite happily just kind of listen to this whilst I drank quite a lot of gin and tonic next to a river. That'd yeah. That'd be good. Mm. I mean, so yeah, and speaking of gin and tonics next to a river, uh, like 
the Bloomsbury set. They moved to Bloomsbury in this year as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I, like obviously they famously spent a lot of time up in Grandchester. Um, oh yeah. People like Maynard Keynes and stuff. It's uh, the local connection with Cambridge. Gin tonics on the river, mm. or probably lots of other stuff. And as we're recording, it's a, a warm July evening, so might yeah. go off and do that right now. Anyway, um, that does sound like an excellent. Yeah, idea. why not? Um, it's so, tradition. We have to. Is it? Obligatory. Right, okay. Right? Well, if it's an obligation, it can't be avoided, so that's, uh, yeah, there that's you go. fair enough. It's done. Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. You've been listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. I've been James. And I've been Liam. And uh, that's all we have for you today on the year 1904. So what's your impression of the year 1904 been, would you say? Ah, surprisingly good, actually. Yeah? Like... Um, a nice. It seems more relaxed. I should say I've edited this down from mm. over a thousand recordings. Mm. So just to we're, give you an idea, we're just there. narrowing down to what James finds is relaxed. Not necessarily relaxed. Interesting in some way. Okay. Um, yeah. So selection of those things. If you want to hear a hour-long mix from this year and of every year from the 1850s to 1915, you can come along to my main website, which is at centuriesofsound.com. You can email me at james at centuriesofsound.com or you can go to my Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or all of those things if you just search for Centuries of Sound or on uh, Apple Podcasts. I'm on there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, otherwise, thank you for listening tonight and uh, I'm going to play out with uh, the Albert Sandler trio. It, it's not the Adam Sandler trio. It's yeah, the I mean, Albert Sandler trio. That would trio. not be a good ending. And it's called the Kashmiri Song. It sounds like a bit of a... Uh, a classical music they've put together themselves well, rather than... In, yeah, Four Indian Love lyrics. I mean, Kashmiri song, Four Indian Love lyrics. That's the full the title. The thing you need to know about Kashmir is that it was this incredibly... Well, it still is a very incredibly beautiful place and where people used to go on holiday. You know, all the hmm. wealthy... bit like Shimla, I think. Uh, you know, I mean, the Beatles went and had a boat up there. Um yeah. So it it, it was not the same view we have of it now. Right, no, really. I mean, because it, it it just hadn't happened yet. It was this probably fairly idyllic place. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. Well, let's play it with that then. It's a nice bit of relaxing classical music to finish off with. There we go.